0: Please. I just have a couple of housekeeping items to take care of before my message. HCC is getting out of the building this afternoon. We're going to be going down to the Ark Sunday Suppers at St. Andrew's United Church and serving spaghetti pie casserole. It sounds great. It actually looks pretty good too. And we have over 16 of those all prepared and servers ready to go. So we look forward to that. And you've noticed Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes around here. And we've been collecting those. On Tuesday night we're going to have a big packing party. People have been bringing in extra items. We're going to use those. Plus little dresses and shorts that some people in our church have been making as well. And if you'd like to volunteer to... uh, actually accept boxes from the other churches, please sign on the list of the whiteboard by the cafe counter. We're in a series of teaching called Highlightables, and each week we've been looking at important passages of scripture and taking a fresh look at them, but we've also been memorizing verses. Now the kids downstairs in Halifax kids are memorizing because they win prizes and they get... I think it's Halifax kids' money, and then they can buy stuff with it. So surely the adults upstairs can do the same thing. So in week one, I spoke about the fact that God has a good comeback for us. And then last week, James Stevenson spoke from 1 John 1.9, and talked about the good news. So that's going to come up on the screen, and if you have an advantage, you get to look at it here, and we'll all quote this together. But if we confess our sins to God, He can always be trusted to forgive us and take away our sins. Oh, take! I know. I get it so close each time. Take our sins away. Thank you. Now the people of God, I was trying to cover the screen. <laughs> It's horrible when my wife... No, it's not horrible when my wife leaves worship. But I get signals and sometimes I just can't be quiet about it. (laughs) So the people of God are in trouble. As a result of their persistent disobedience, God has allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to come in and basically wipe out the country, attack Jerusalem in 6,006 B.C., and then take off a number of people as people into captivity. And this was the first of several deportations. And it was during this time that Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were captive. And you'll remember the stories about them. That Daniel, who was thrown into the lion's den and escaped unscathed. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown into the fiery furnace and also survived. Now the Babylonians forced their captives to march the 1280 kilometers from Jerusalem to Babylon, which would be present-day Iraq. So that would be similar to us walking from here to Montreal. Can you just imagine doing that? So these people, they were physically exhausted, they were emotionally exhausted, and they were spiritually (laughs) challenged. God's chosen people were suffering in a big way. And uh, the 137th Psalm, verse 1, dramatically conveys their mood when it says, Beside the rivers of Babylon, we thought about Jerusalem, and we sat down and cried. But they were there, and they were thinking about what it was like at home, and they missed it so much, they sat down and they cried. Now during this time, God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah to send a letter to those slaves in Babylon. and first of all, he told them, you're going to be there for a while, so get used to it. You've basically made your bed, so now you're going to have to sleep in it. So go ahead and build homes, plant gardens, get married, have children. You're going to be there in captivity for 70 years. Now, I'm sure the people were thinking, Seventy years, we thought this was just a little detour, you know, a couple of years at the most. But we're going to be there for the rest of our lives. But God realized that these people needed some encouragement to go along with this dose of reality. So Jeremiah 29, I'm reading from verse 10 to 14. We read, After Babylon has been the strongest nation for 70 years, I will be kind and bring you back to Jerusalem, just as I have promised. I will bless you with a future filled with hope, a future of success, not of suffering. You will turn back to me and ask for help, and I will answer your prayers. You will worship me with all your heart, and I will be with you and accept your worship. Then I will gather you from all the nations where I scattered you, and you will return to Jerusalem. And 68 years later, in 538 B.C., the army of Persia conquered Babylon, and then two years later, in 536 B.C., Cyrus, the Persian king, allowed the Jews to return home. So it was exactly 70 years after that prophecy that was made by Jeremiah. So even in captivity, God didn't forget his people. He had a new meaning. He had a purpose for them. And life doesn't change overnight, even though he told them there was a purpose. They didn't immediately see that. But he said that he would bless them. So here is a popular Old Testament promise that is in that scripture that I just read. And it's from the 11th verse of Jeremiah 29. It's something that many people gravitate toward as a source of comfort during times of struggle in their lives. I will bless you with a future filled with hope, a future of success, not of suffering. So that's your assignment for this week. I will bless you with a future filled with hope, a future of success, not of suffering. Well, I'm a senior pastor here, and even though I said we're using the contemporary English version in the quotes that we use in our messages, for teaching purposes today, I'm using the New International rendering of this, which says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm me, plans to give you hope and a future. And yes, that promise is very specific and it's for those people, the people of God, the Jews, but it's something that we can find application in our lives from as well. But first of all, we know that God has a good plan for our lives. And we need to discover it, and we need to follow it. That there is a God. He knows the future. He knows you. He knows me. He has a general plan for everyone. And he also has a specific plan. So just as Satan has a strategy to try and bring us down, I believe that God has a good plan. Or he has a game plan. That is going to build us up and help us basically get to the finish line or the goal line. Because that's what we're striving for, the goal line that will lead us into heaven. Because sometimes people will picture this walk with God as being like going down a narrow road. We could use our aisle, for example. And if you wander off that road, well, you're lost altogether. But actually, it's much more like using a compass. And with a compass, like, you're going in that direction, you're going north, but you're free to veer a little bit as long as you're moving toward your goal and not going backwards. And I've been talking about the fact that we have some people involved in a big football game this afternoon. Like, we could look at the football field as our playing field. Like, we're going towards the goal line. You can run to the left, you can run to the right, you can pass, you can run the ball, you will get tackled at times, and once your knee hits the ground, if you don't know football rules, that play ends, but there are many other plays. Just as long as we stay within the boundaries, we don't go outside those boundaries. And then ultimately, we cross the goal line. See, if you remain faithful If you come to church, if you stay in God's word, if you interact with other Christians, God will reveal his plans to you. So there they are again in chapter 29, Jeremiah. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now there are four parts to this plan. The first one is to prosper. And when you hear the word prosper, the first thing that comes to mind is Ooh, this is going to be good. I'm going to gain something financially as a result of this. But when you look at what the word prosper really means in the Greek, it's the same word from which we get shalom. It means peace. So God's not promising financial prosperity. He's promising His peace. And that should be number one in what we strive for anyway. But Paul in Ephesians 2 said, God planned for us to do good things and to live as he has always wanted us to live. So that's why he sent Jesus into this world, to get us to do what he wanted. So his good plan could prosper us. And then his good plan is also to protect us. And the verse says, so that you will not experience any harm. So that literally means you'll be protected from evil. It's almost as if God is throwing us a rope. And we grab hold of that rope. And boy, it just feels so secure. We know we can trust in that rope. We can pull on it as much as we want. But when we rely upon God and His plan, it's just as if we are holding on to that type of hope. So God had an important lesson for these people, and there was a general lesson for them as well. He said that you will experience this time of captivity. Now for us, we may not experience 70 years being captives to some other government or country, but there might be 20 years that we're captive to a health problem. There might be 40 years where some emotional pain or some crisis in our family has been pulling us down. And it might seem as if there's no end in sight in all of this. But we may never have peace and prosperity in this lifetime. But God is saying, Look, I'm in charge here. Like, I've not forgotten you at all. I've not abandoned you. And I won't let you be destroyed. So God has a good plan for you. You may remember the news reports back in the fall of 2002 when snipers were terrorizing the Washington, D.C. and Maryland areas. And then the two snipers were caught sleeping in their car in a rest stop in Maryland. You might have also heard that Ron Lance, a 62-year-old truck driver from Kentucky, was the one who alerted the police. that He heard the reports on the radio, he heard the license plate number being repeated, and he saw the Chevrolet Caprice with those license plate numbers, so he called in. Now you might have heard those things, but you definitely didn't hear this, that Ron Lance is a Christian, and that just five days prior to this event, he gathered just five miles away with a group of truckers. There were over 50 of them from all across the country, and they got together to pray, and they were praying that God would bring peace to that area. That somehow those snipers would be caught. And then here he is, just a few days later, seeing that vehicle and making that 911 call. Now this man was just five runs away from retirement, So it would have been so easy for him to just say, why bother? Why take the chance on all of this? Just let it ride. But he had prayed that God would do something. And now God was going to work through him. So he made that call. He even took his big rig and parked it in front of that car so that it was tracked. And everything went without incident. The two men were arrested. All because just a short time prior to this, those men were earnestly seeking God's peace and protection. God's plan offers hope. And that literally means expectation. In, in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Hope that will never disappoint us. And all of this happens because God has given us the Holy Spirit. Who fills our hearts with His love. That God is going to give us something to hold on to. That's what our faith is. That's like an anchor, some of the scriptures refer to it as. And when we look at an anchor, that's able to hold a big ship in place. So our faith is our anchor. Now, there's a place in San Diego, Dominican Republic, called The Hole. And it's a huge garbage dump where approximately 600 people had built these little shanties that would fall over in the slightest little windstorm. And at the base of that valley, there's a river winding through. But it's just full of sewage. So that's where these people live. And some missionaries were in the area, and they, excuse me, some people from another church went to visit that area. And they spoke to the missionaries, and they said, why aren't these kids in school? It's a school day. And the answer was, they don't have birth certificates. Because they grew up in the hole, there's no such thing as birth certificates. So the people in that city, in that area, don't even recognize these people. In the eyes of them, they don't even exist. Now that might be true for that area. It might be a true statement in the eyes of that community. But it's certainly not a true statement in the eyes of God. But the Bible says in Psalm 139 verse 14, And I praise you because of the wonderful way you created me. Everything you do is marvelous. Of this I have no doubt. But with your own eyes, you saw my body being formed. Even before I was born, you had written in your book everything I would do. Thankfully, there are Christian people serving in the whole. And people are finding out about the hope of faith in Jesus Christ And they're coming to know Him. So God does have a plan for their lives. Now God also has a good plan in which He promises you a future. Sometimes you might have a friend who just started a new relationship. And then somebody else comes up to you. And they'll ask you, do you think they have a future? And my response is, I have no idea whatsoever especially when it might be somebody starting a relationship with one of my daughters when they were younger I might have said no relationship ever now I'm allowing them to get married and have grandchildren for me so it changes but, but you might have someone ask you do these people have a future and my response I have given you but God who can do more and he can be more certain about all things He wants the Israelites to know that in his eyes, they have a future. A number of people have used this in their teaching in regards to raising our children in the Lord. They say, you don't just want your kids to know the Bible story of Daniel. You want to raise up a Daniel. More than your son just knowing about the life of Samuel, you want him to become a Samuel, who is always listening to the call of his father. More than knowing the story of Esther, you want to raise an Esther. And they're all right in saying that. Because we constantly want to encourage our kids so that we can raise them up in the Lord. We want them to dream. We want them to not just dream about how God can work in your life, but what difference can He make through you. And get them to talk about ten years down the road that they may not have... A specific plan for that, but they have a general plan of how they're going to stay within God's will and work toward that. But plant seeds within them so that they think about how God can use them. So the Bible reveals God's good plan. Remember Romans 12, 1 and 2? Paul said, Dear friends, God is good, so I beg you to offer your bodies to Him as a living sacrifice, Pure and pleasing. That's the most sensible way to serve God. Don't be like the people of this world. But let God change the way you think. Then you will know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to Him. So His plan is that you stay in His will. It's that you work within the parameters of His will. But there's another area that we need to consider. And that is that God has a good plan for your life. But you have to actually discover it, and then you have to follow it. And only you can determine what God's plan is for you. Like you can come and set up an appointment with me, and we can work on it, and I can help you a little bit. But it's only you that is going to determine what God's will or plan is for you. See, it's no accident that you're here today. Like Rick Warren writes, without purpose, life is motion without meaning. Activity without direction, and events without reason. Without a purpose, life is trivial, petty, and pointless. So if that's true, and I believe it is, then we should want to be studying God's Word. We should want to be in prayer with our Heavenly Father. We should want to talk to God's people. We should want to worship in God's house to discover and follow that plan. It's one thing to know God's plan for your life, but it's another one to follow that plan. But just think of how much more exciting it is to discover it, and somehow to follow it. But if you're going to do that, it's going to require two things. The first one is patience. who like who is so full of patience that they have no concerns whatsoever? It's kind of hard to get a hand up there, isn't it? But patience isn't Usually what we think of when we want to discern God's plan for our lives. Because we want the plan right now. We want it all laid out so that we know what's going to happen over the next 20, 30 years. There's God's plan. He's given it to me directly. I've read His word. I've sensed it. But it takes more than that to understand, to be conscious, and to hear the voice of God, and to be patient for the voice of God to speak to us. Richard Swenson, in his book, The Overload Syndrome, writes, Even our sentences are peppered with such words as time crunch, fast food, rush hour, frequent flyer, expressway, overnight delivery, and rapid transit. The products, the services we use, further attest to our hurry. We send packages by Federal Express, use a long-distance company called Sprint, manage our personal finances on Quicken, diet with SlimFast. Wear bathing suits made by Speedo. And the list could go on of all the names that are in there. But the trouble is, God isn't running after us. He knows the speed that we want to go in. And that just might not be the speed in which he wants to travel. So he's under no obligation to fit into our timetable to accommodate our urgency. So patience is important. It's important so that we can allow the whole play to develop according to God's plan. and our ta- our, tar- our timetable tires us out. Like we talk about like we're so tired, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're going here, we're going there. And, and we're exhausted trying to follow our timetable to follow our agenda. But if we were to just slow down, we wouldn't just feel better physically and emotionally. But we would actually be able to understand what God is communicating to us. We would be able to understand what His plan is for us. Now it might be a short wait. It might be 20 years. We don't know. It may take a long time, depending on the circumstances, to discover what God's good plan is for your life. But be patient. Be trusting in Him. And allow His timing to take over. And there's a second key to this, and that is obedience. It's one thing to know God's plan, but it's another thing to actually act upon it and fulfill it. Obedience just flies in the face of our own self will and our own intellect. Like we think we've got it all figured out. Like, why do I need anybody else? I've got my act together. So we need obedience to allow God's plan to work in our lives, because we don't have all the answers. The 119th Psalm, verse 105, Your word is a lamp that gives light wherever I walk. So wherever, that's anywhere we go in our lives, God's word will shed light on that situation. We may be obedient to God's word, but we'll still get off course at times. But if we continue to dig into God's Word, if we continue to be in prayer, then we're going to do okay. It's going to work out all right. Charles Colson was invited to speak at San Quentin Prison, and he was excited about the opportunity to preach God's Word to the people in that prison. But just before he went, prison officials discovered hidden weapons in some of the cells, and as a result, the prison was locked down. And the inmates were confined to their cells 24 hours a day. But Colson was still permitted to come. And there were a few Christian inmates who were part of the Christian Fellowship Program that were allowed to attend the service. So Colson said, I was glad to see them, but I was disheartened. This had been my opportunity to preach the gospel to hardened offenders. And now I'm just preaching to those who were already saved. And just so few. It feels like I'm preaching to the choir. But he struggled with a lack of enthusiasm until he noticed a video camera in the far corner of the room. So he thought, okay, maybe they're going to make up for it a little bit. And they're going to videotape my message and put it in the library of the jail. And then some of the inmates, if they choose, can Take that out and listen to it. But he still said, you know, I'm honored to be here today, but so few people that are already a Christian. But he started to speak anyway. He said, I'm going to give it my best effort. But as he started preaching, he said, he felt the Holy Spirit just working through him, and it led him to preach the most powerful message he had ever preached on salvation found through Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm going to preach this way even if one inmate is listening or a thousand are listening." And after the service was over, he went up to the prison chaplain and he expressed his disappointment. And then the chaplain looked at him and said, Didn't you know that because of the lockdown the, the warden actually permitted us to videotape you today And that is going to be shown to every prisoner tomorrow at noon. It's going to be by feed into their specific cells. And Colson wrote, I was overwhelmed because of the lockdown. 2,200 prisoners would hear the gospel instead of the 300 who had originally signed up. God had arranged a way for more inmates to hear his word. Yet, if I hadn't been faithful to preach it, the opportunity would have been missed. Isn't that amazing? That God worked that in such a way so that every inmate in that prison got to hear that message that day. Proverbs 3 says, With all your heart, you must trust the Lord and not your own judgment. Always let Him lead you, and He will clear the road for you to follow You have great freedom in Jesus Christ, and it's freedom to follow Him and follow His will for your life. And there will be times of uncertainty when we get confused a little bit, and we'll get slightly off track, we'll make some wrong turns, but that's okay, we're still focusing on the goal. And there will be some times when God reveals His plans to us, And we realize what that involves. And and we shy away from that plan a little bit. Because that's going to require a lot of work from me. It's going to require a lot of my resources. It's even going to hurt me a little bit. And then we have to be honest. Because there are times when God reveals His good plan to us. And we just go in the opposite direction. We run away from His will. It's the last thing that we want to do. Scripture says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you; Plans to give you hope and a future. That's what He's offering. And there's no greater joy than knowing that you're walking in God's will. That you're moving in the direction that He has dictated. That you're following God's good plan. Now maybe today you're being tempted to run in the opposite direction. You can feel something still tugging at you to hold you in the right direction. But you're being tempted to go the wrong way. You're fighting it. And yet you know that God wants to keep you in his good plan so that you can be victorious. Maybe you've really messed up your life. And you think, I'm so far away that God is never going to accept me back. But He does. That's what the gospel message is all about. That He will accept you back. And what we call that is forgiveness. And that's another part of God's good plan. In John 14, too, Jesus said, There are many rooms in my Father's house. I wouldn't tell you this unless it was true. I'm going there to prepare a place for each one of you. Isn't that an amazing promise? That God is making a reservation in heaven for us. Heaven is referred to as this amazing mansion that has a room for every believer in Jesus Christ. And even if you've not yet accepted Him, He's holding that room, waiting for you to come to Him and give your life to Him. We're going to stand and sing our song of commitment. And if you've never accepted God's good plan in your life and responded to it, take this opportunity to talk to me after this.